Welcome to the Get a Grip podcast. This is your host, Corey Grip. How's it going, everybody? Um, yeah, it's been a while. You know, just been really busy with work and um, just trying to really soak in all of the, um, you know, NFL uh, schedule and college football schedule. I mean, it's been um, pretty crazy. And, um, you know, it's been a really exciting time um, this year for football. A lot of storylines. Um, obviously and we and we can jump into all of that but the first thing i wanted to start off with is um you know my pittsburgh steelers i'd be lying if i said it was a, I, i'm really disappointed um you know i kind of looked at their schedule before it was released and i kind of thought okay you know four and two maybe three and three um you know i kind of looked before the season started i had a feeling that you know they would need to beat the raiders and the Bengals. um you know, if they wanted to have a decent record going into the bye week, because their, their first half schedule was tough. You know, they had Buffalo, you know, they, they play the Packers this week. Denver is much better than expected, but they've always had a good defense. Um, they finally have a quarterback that's actually good and doesn't turn the ball over. And then obviously the Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks. But the Steelers, oh my gosh, I mean, they have the worst rushing game in the league. And they're last in rushing yards per game. They're averaging just under 17 points a game. They're bottom 10 in total yards per game. And, you know, a lot of people are going to criticize Big Ben. And frankly, I don't even think that's probably the right direction to go. Yes, Big Ben does look old. Yes, Big Ben is not as mobile um, as he used to be. I mean, Big Ben was never mobile, but I think we all know that he was one of the best off-script quarterbacks in league history. Uh, And, you know, sometimes that led to, you know, turnovers, mistakes, but you know, no one was better at off-script plays than Big Ben, you know, back even five, six years ago. I mean, that was what made him so great. Um, it's just, you know, making plays, extending plays with his limited mobility, shrugging off defenders in the pocket to, you know, make more plays. I mean, that's what he did better than anybody. But my biggest problem has been the offensive line. And I said this back, I said this in the offseason. You know, if you go back to any podcast where I talked about the NFL and I talked about the Steelers, I mentioned the offensive line. I said this. The offensive line was going to be the key to their season. Whether they made the playoffs or not, it's going to come down to the offensive line. And so far, they've been awful. Um, Maybe not awful, but below average. You know, and I understand. They're a young unit. Um, You know, they didn't draft an offensive lineman in the first two rounds of the draft. They didn't really address the area in free agency. But so they're really young. And sometimes it takes time to kind of get used to the NFL game. It's not easy. But, you know, Big Ben's been sacked or hit over 20 times in three games, and they're just completely limited. And, you know, that's what I've been – you know, everyone wants to say, oh, well, the Steelers aren't taking shots down the field. You know, it's because they can't. You know, Big Ben only has two and a half seconds to make throws, which doesn't really allow the wide receivers to get open down the field. So we're right back to where we were last year with the Steelers. The short passing game, the limited running game. But this time – this time – it's not going to work and teams are already ready for it. I mean, last year, you know, they caught some teams off guard with it. They played some bad teams. They were able to, you know, win a bunch of games. They started off in love to know, but we're, we're the Steelers are in the same spot as they were last year. Right. Except this time is the offensive line is younger and they're, they're worse off than they were last year. And they're breaking in a new offensive system. I think maybe by after the bye week, maybe the Steelers will look better, you know, with extra uh, with an extra week of rest and preparation for their offensive line. But you know, right now the offensive line is is not in a great place. And transitionally, I think the Steelers, you know, th- this has to be the time, right? 
you, they got to make a, they got to go in a new direction. The way the NFL is going, a quarterbacks that are more mobile that can extend plays outside the pocket. You can use in the RPO game, um, the read option game. I mean, that's kind of where we're going with guys like Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray. I mean, that's kind of the direction we're going in. And so for me, you know, it's time for Big Ben to go. And he, you know, but again, it's not all Big Ben's fault. You know, it's not, okay? It's the offensive line. And I've said that. They can't run the ball and they can't take shots down the field. So where, where does that leave them? Now, I will say that it's it's hard to go against Mike Tomlin, right? He's never had a losing record in his time as a head coach at the Steelers. And when they're healthy, their defense is top five in the league. And they and we and we saw that against the Bills in week one. But you know, TJ Watt uh, missed has missed one and a half games. They had no pass rush without Alex Highsmith and Watt, which to me exposed their lack of depth um from a pass rushing perspective against a bad Bengals offensive line. And Burrow had a clean Joe Burrow had a clean pocket all game. Yeah, I'm very concerned. Um, you know, they you know, Aaron Rodgers. Teddy Bridgewater, who doesn't turn the ball over, and Russell Wilson, and then Cleveland right after the bye on the road. That's a tough four-game stretch. Their season could be over uh, by the end of October. I'm trying to stay optimistic, but it doesn't look promising for my Steelers. So uh, moving into some teams that are undefeated, I actually, you know, the, for me, the Broncos were kind of one of my teams to watch for. And I kind of looked at them as maybe a wild card team. You know, the wild card race to me was between like six teams, right? Like the the Titans, the Colts, you know, Ravens, Browns, Steelers, you know, Dolphins, maybe the Chargers, maybe Denver. Uh, I didn't really put the Raiders in there, but the D- Denver Broncos, their defense has been terrific, and they've always had a good defense. Um, but ever since Peyton Manning retired, their quarterback play has been pretty abysmal. Um, you know, from Trevor Simeon to Paxton Lynch to Joe Flacco to Drew Locke. Uh, to Jeff Driscoll, uh, to Brett Rippon. I mean, they really haven't had a an even above average starter um, the last five years. But in the, defensively, I mean, they're top half in the league and um, points per game, rushing yards per game, total yards. And uh, defensively, they're allowing the lowest quarterback rating and completion percentage through three games. And they're only giving up 162 total yards per game, which is third best in the league. Now, I will say... A lot of that has to do with their schedule, right? The three teams that they've played are all are combined 0-9, the Jets, the Giants, and the Jaguars. Um, so that has a lot to do with it. But this defense is good. This, they're really good. Uh, they have one probably maybe maybe the deepest secondary in the league. You know, Vaughn Miller looks healthy. Um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is is a good quarterback. And, you know, honestly, you know, when I when I told people in the past that I would rather have Teddy Bridgewater Bridgewater than um Cam Newton. You know, people are like, what are you talking about? Well, I'm like, listen, you know, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't make mistakes. Physic- physically, yes, Cam is a better quarterback physically, but, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is still mobile enough to move. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's got pretty good accuracy, and um, he wins games. And, you know, isn't that what you want from a quarterback is just to win games? Like, who cares how you do it sometimes? Sometimes you, whether you win ugly or you win pretty, it doesn't matter. You know, winning is winning, and, and it's hard to win in the NFL. But we're going to find out a lot more about what the Broncos are made of. You know, they play the Chargers and the Ravens in the next couple weeks. So we're going to really see what they do against better quarterback play. That's my only concern with the Broncos, right? I like Teddy Bridgewater. But we saw what Teddy Bridgewater was last year. He was good for the Panthers. He kept them in a lot of games. 
They they were a rebuilding team. They won five games. They lost seven games by one possession. But we saw what Teddy was in Carolina. We saw what he was in Minnesota. He's got limitations. And teams that expose those limitations expose him pretty badly. Um, and the, the division's brutal, right? And we'll, I'll talk about the Raiders in a second. I mean, you're, you're talking about they still haven't played. They, need, they still have to play six times. Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, and Patrick Mahomes. It's not going to get easier for Denver. But I will say this. If Teddy Bridgewater continues to not turn the football over, be efficient and uh, do enough. Their defense is good enough to win them win them uh, any game against any team in the AFC. That's what I will say about uh, this Broncos team. The Raiders, they really have um, a love for the dramatic, right? I mean, they've won three games now. They're three and zero. Oh, they're you know they're three wins. We're all thrillers. All came down to the end, and that to me that's not sustainable, right? Uh, that that's not a sustainable. Uh, model to win games in the NFL. But the one thing I will, and also too, like the Raiders, their run game is awful and their offensive line is breaking in a bunch of new starters. I mean, four new starters from last year's group. So that that's what I'll say about the Raiders. Um, they're very one dimensional right now. That could change if the offensive line grows and gets better and their chemistry is better throughout the year. But I mean, they are averaging the most yards per game, most passing yards in their top, you know, 10 and points per game. They're averaging 30 points a game. So offensively, you know, Derek Carr is clicking. And, you know, I never really understood the criticism for Derek Carr. He's been a top 12 quarterback for me um, the last few years. Uh, part of the part of the criticism I can understand a little bit because, you know, Derek Carr hasn't won a lot of games. He's not a sexy quarterback. He didn't go to a big college, went to Fresno State. But a lot of his struggles in Oakland and, and then Las Vegas was just he was playing with bad defenses. And I, I, don't, I don't think John Gruden was really good First couple, his first couple years, I think it was an, an adjustment for him. But Derek Carr's really good, and he's been he's done a really good job under pressure delivering down the field. But again, the lack of pass protection on a consistent basis and the running game is very concerning, especially when, while they do have some young, talented receivers, Hunter Renfro, Henry Ruggs, Brian Edwards, these aren't game breakers. Outside of Darren Waller, they don't have many game breakers as, game breakers as far as playmakers on the perimeter in the, in the running game. So being one-dimensional in the NFL is not great. We saw, we saw what the Chiefs were last year, right, in the Super Bowl when they, when they didn't run the ball, when they were like, you know what, we're going to throw the ball. The Bucs were playing deep, trying to take away everything deep. The, the Chiefs probably could have ran the ball, the ball but they didn't. Uh, so we, we know what happens when you're one-dimensional. Look at the Steelers last year. I mean, they were throwing like 50 times a game. They started off 11-0, and then they completely fell apart at the end of the year. When you're one-dimensional – that's not a recipe for success, especially when you're winning with um, the thrill and the dramatics that the Raiders have these first three games. But I'll give them credit. I picked the Raiders to make the playoffs last year's wild card team. They started off great, and then they completely fell apart at the end of the year. John Gruden is not a great coach. Statistically, in November, December, his winning percentage is under 40%, 30%. That's very concerning. However, their schedule is a little favorable before their bye week. After the bye week, it gets a little tough. You know, they got to play the Chargers. They got to play Denver, the Chiefs twice. They got to go play at Dallas on Thanksgiving. Um, You know, so it's going to get tough for the Raiders. But Derek Carr is playing at a really high level right now. But defensively, they've been opportunistic, absolutely. But I still don't think their back end is great. Uh, They got exposed a little bit by Jacoby Brissett. That's a little concerning considering he's not a great passer. Um, but we're going to find out a lot about what the Raiders defense and what Derek Carr is made of when they play the, uh, the chargers on Monday night. 
And finally, Carolina. Um, what can I say, right? If you want to learn more about Matt Rule, go read my um, deep dive sports blog post. I, you know, I haven't posted in a while. But one of the last ones I did was about Matt Rule. And um, if you don't know about Matt Rule, quick background, right? He was the head, former head coach at Temple University and Baylor. And in his first two seasons at both places, they were awful. But they, they were becoming more competitive. By, their, by his second year at Temple and Baylor, they were a bowl team. So they won six, seven games. And then by his third year, Temple had won 10 games. They're playing in their conference championship game. Baylor had won 11. They were playing in their conference championship game. Matt Rule's a culture builder. And we saw this last year. And I'm not surprised. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs because I still think they got a bunch of holes on their overall roster. Offensive line's not great. Their defense is still very young. But they got a lot of playmakers. The one thing I said about Matt Rule is he builds cultures. It takes time, but the results speak for themselves. And listen, all these, all these, all these fools that said that Sam Darnold can't play in the NFL, you don't know a thing about football, man. Like Sam Darnold showed why at times with the Jets, why he was the top five pick. The problem was is that he wasn't consistent because the team around him wasn't consistent. He never had a Pro Bowler. Um you know, that was with the Jets. I mean, Le'Veon Bell doesn't count because he was a pro bowler with the Steelers, not with the Jets. He never had a good line, offensive line. He never had good coaching. The front office was always a mess. He never had good playmakers. And so with that, when you're constantly under duress and trying to make plays because you know no one around you can make the plays, that leads you to make mistakes. Your, your technique, your, your footwork, all your mechanics are just bad. And I think we're finally starting to see that with, when Sam Darnold gets good coaching, help around him a better defense you know the offensive line's not great but it's certainly better than what he had with the jets we see how we see what this guy can do when he's not asked to win the game sam darnold's good i like sam darnold okay so i'll just leave it at that you know i i think the panthers are still a year away but they're definitely ahead of schedule now i will say their schedule has been pretty favorable and they have a pretty a lighter schedule because of where they finished last year in the division they finished last um, so, so far, you know, they've beaten the Saints, the Texans, and they beat the Jets. So those aren't world beaters. But, hey, you play who's on your schedule. And, um, you know, I'm, I've been really impressed with what Sam Darnold's look like. And it just goes to show you with good coaching and help around you what, um, what that does for a young quarterback. It, it means the world. And uh, I'll talk about the young quarterback struggling later. But those are just my thoughts on the those three undefeated teams because I think they're the most interesting. You know, you know Arizona's undefeated. And the Rams are undefeated, but we knew they were going to be good. Like these three teams are a little shocking, um, you know, obviously. Um, so that's kind of where I stand with that. Uh, the Chiefs and the Bucks, are they in trouble? I think I think the easy answer is no, but there's certainly some cracks to the foundation of those two teams. Let me just give you some stats to just kind of say see what um to hear what I'm saying, right? The Bucs, this, this stat's crazy. I saw this the other day on Pro Football Reference. I, I couldn't believe it. The Bucs are the only team in the league to have given up over 1,000 passing yards through three games. That's pretty bad. That is really bad. Both teams are the two worst teams in the league in sacks produced. Tampa with three, Chiefs with four. The Chiefs have given up the most 40-plus yard plays this year at five. The Chiefs have given up the second most rushing yards and second most yards per carry through three games. Both teams 
are top 10 and highest opposing quarterback completion percentage, both giving up over 70% of completed passes. Their defenses are terrible. And, and here's the thing. Everyone wanted to vault Tampa as like, oh, just give them the, give them the trophy. They're going to go undefeated. I thought that was stupid because to me, to go, to go undefeated in the NFL – to go undefeated in the NFL, it just kind of happens, right? Like you don't, it doesn't, you don't plan it. It just happens. And so, you know, their defenses are in trouble. And I said this about the Bucs last, I said this about the Bucs last year. Yes, they brought all their starters back defensively. But their secondary wasn't good last year. They weren't. And now everyone was saying, oh, they're going to be so good. It's like, wait, what about, what about the first half of the season where their secondary got torched by Drew Brees twice, Nick Foles, Aaron Rodgers a couple times. You know, what about that? Are we not going to talk about that? No, I guess not. So, you know, that that's what – and Matt Ryan. They got cooked by Matt Ryan. They got they got cooked by Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship game. Taylor Heineke gave him trouble. Like, the secondary is not good. And now they're all banged up. So where does that leave Tampa's defense? The front seven is supposed to be the best part of their defense – and they were one of the best teams in the league last year getting sacks. They were top three in the league. This year, they're the worst team in the league at sacks, which is pretty astounding uh, considering that, you know, they played a Dallas offensive line that's been injury prone. And then the Falcons offensive line hasn't been great. They got overwhelmed by the Eagles and the Giants at times. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty concerned about Tampa. But when you got Tom Brady, anything is possible. And so it's early in the year. You know, Tampa wasn't a perfect team last year. They just got hot at the right time. So that can happen again. But last year, Tampa was one of the most injury-free teams in the league. They had the fewest – they were one of two teams with, like, the fewest injuries in the league. This year, um, Jason Pierre-Paul's already missed a game. He missed the Rams game. Most of their secondary has been banged up. Um, Antonio Brown uh, got COVID and couldn't play in the Rams game. So already, Gronk, he's banged up after the Rams game. They're already having more injuries than they did last year. And Tom Brady should not be throwing 58 times a game. That's crazy. That's crazy. I know the Rams have a good front seven, but you got to at least attempt to run the football. You can't just be – you can't be asking a 44-year-old quarterback to throw 58 times a game, no matter how great he is. Um, but the one silver lining in this is, as bad as their defenses are, the Chiefs could be 3-0. That, that's the crazy part, right? They have, had, they have had six turnovers in the last two games. And both games came down to the very end. So the Chiefs could have easily had won those games. And that's the craziest thing of all. As bad as both of these teams' defenses have played, Tampa's 2-1, and one, and the Chiefs are 1-2. But the Rams are a really good football team. So I'm not, I picked the Rams to win. So I'm not surprised that they won. But the Chiefs could easily be 3-0. and oh. The problem is, is that you can't keep asking Patrick Mahomes to bail you out every single week. Their defense has had a history the last couple of years of getting hot in the second half of the season, um, you know, taking advantage of turnovers and and holding teams down in the in the red zone, holding them to field goals. They, that's what they got to get back to. But both teams have had top five scoring offenses, top five passing offenses, top 10 total offenses. But their defense has got to step up. doesn't matter how great your quarterbacks are. If one unit of your team is awful, you're not a great team. And so right now, the Bucs secondary is atrocious. They can't get pressure. And the Chiefs give up way too many big plays and are getting gashed on the ground. Okay, so those are things that they're going to have to work on. But like I said, there is definitely some concern. Absolutely. 
But it's it's September, and we all know that Tom Brady is never the best September quarterback historically. You know, he usually starts like two and two, or you know, uh, you know, one and two. You know, Tom Brady's not great historically in September. He always plays his best ball from November on. And um, but one more thing on Mahomes, Mahomes, please stop with the with the flashy no look, all these cute plays. Because to me, listen, Mahomes is making plays that almost no quarterback in the league can make. Right, the no look passes, the the crazy sidearm passes, like no one, almost no one can do that. And when it and when he does it, it's like, oh my gosh, like that is the greatest thing I've ever seen. But then when he does it and it leads to a turnover or a mistake, it's like, okay, you know. So listen, I'm all for it, right? I think it's great. Um, I think it's great that Patrick Mahomes can do these things. But sometimes you just got to simplify the game and just make the throw. Stop trying to run around too much or make crazy throws. And, and, and that kind of starts with Andy Reid. Like, I think Andy Reid needs to sit Mahomes down and be like, listen, I know you're great. You can do things that other quarterbacks can, I've never been able to do. But sometimes you just got to simplify your game and just make the simple play. There is a time and a place for a complicated, you know, no-look pass. But he, I feel like he does it too much now. It used to be kind of like a gimmick. Now it's like to the point where he's doing it, it feels like all the time. That's the only thing I'll say about that. But – I think the Chiefs and Bucks will be fine. Yes, their defenses are concerning and have been awful the first three games. There's no other word to say it. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like, they've been terrible. But their offenses are playing at a really high level. And I think both teams have had, have had the same type of players the last couple of years on defense. So I think they'll figure it out. Um, sometimes there is that Super Bowl hangover, even if you have the great Tom Brady. All these other guys are not used to winning outside of Gronk and Brady. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, I mentioned the Rams, you know, I'm a big, you know, Georgia football fan. Right. And so for me, I've been a big Matthew Stafford defender for years um, because I think, you know, Matthew Stafford, everyone wants to say, oh, you know, he's never won a playoff game. Oh, he's never won a division title. Oh my gosh. He had Megatron and Golden Tate. He should have won so many games. It's like, first of all, let me break down that, that dumb argument. First of all, you don't win games in the NFL with two with a Hall of Fame wide receiver and a and a good wide receiver in Golden Tate. That's two players on a roster of 53 plus the practice squad. What about the defense? What about the running game? What about coaching? What about the front office? What about the offensive line? Matthew Stafford never had a good run game. They were always one of the worst in the league. His offensive line at best was average. On a good on a good year, his defense was never good. All Matthew Stafford ever had in Detroit was perimeter wide receivers. That doesn't win you games. And so Matthew Stafford, I feel like he took a lot of shots in Detroit. He got hurt. And the thing with Matthew Stafford is that he kind of like Sam Darnold, you know, Matthew Stafford did have some seasons with a lot of interceptions. He took a lot of big hits. You know why? Because he had to make something happen sometimes because he had a lack of a running game and and not a great offensive line. And he knew that almost every year his defense was going to get torched or scorched. You know, he never had an above average head coach. And he took the Lions to the playoffs three times. Oh, and guess what? He played in a division with Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, good luck. That's hard to beat, right? And then obviously Minnesota has gotten much better over the last three years with Mike Zimmer. 
The Bears have had a couple years the last 10 years where they've been really good. So don't give me this narrative that Matthew Stafford is overrated because he didn't win in Detroit. You know how hard it is to win in Detroit? He did things in Detroit that no Detroit quarterback has done in like 60 years. Come on now. Like, I don't like that, man. I, I hate, I hate, I hate that narrative because it's not fair to Matthew Stafford. Almost no quarterback could succeed in one of the most dysfunctional organizations in the NFL. That's not a fair, that's not a fair take on Matthew Stafford. Now, however, with the Rams, I mean, we're finally starting to see what Matthew Stafford could have been his whole career had he gone to a stable organization. Okay. Matthew Stafford's got a cannon for an arm. And I think what gets lost in all of the losing that he had in Detroit was his IQ for the game is like really high. And he's got a great, he's got great uh, feet in the pocket, great footwork, great mechanics. His pocket awareness is terrific. Jared Goff was a good quarterback. He had a good arm, but he struggled with turnovers. He struggled with awareness in the pocket, which often led to fumbles. And he wasn't mobile by any means. Matt, Matt Stafford has enough mobility to make plays outside the pocket and he's got a way higher football IQ, which which allows Sean McVay to focus on other parts of the game. So, like, you know, I'll just say that about Matthew Stafford, where he's in full command of this offense, already has 940 passing yards, nine touchdowns, and the Rams have the third highest scoring offense in the league. And they played some good teams. You know, the Bears defense is usually respectable. The Colts have a good overall roster, and they and they beat up on Tampa. So Matthew Stafford deserves a lot of credit. And, you know, I finally think that now that he has a top 10 offensive line, a run game, good receivers, a top 10 coach, a top five defense, a good, an aggressive front office. Now that he finally has everything he needs, we finally get to see how good he could have been his whole career. And I'll just leave it at that. A um, couple more topics on the NFL. We're going to have to split this up into two parts, but you know, that's okay. I love talking about football. Anyway, are Carson Wentz and Daniel Jones in trouble of losing their jobs? Oh, Daniel Jones, absolutely. You know, I, I think Daniel Jones is kind of in a similar spot to Sam Darnold. And I think he's a good quarterback. I think Sam Darnold's got more physical talent. The problem with Daniel Jones is that, you know, it's kind of like Sam Darnold. He's never had a good offensive line. And I know, a lot, I know Daniel Jones gets a lot of criticism for his turnovers. But, you know, sometimes, like, that really is offensive line. And, you know, I, I liked what Joe Judge did last year. I thought he really changed the culture around in such a short season. That's such a short period. That's why I had the Giants winning the division because I figured that their offensive line would get even slightly better. And with Saquon back that and all the weapons that they have now for Daniel Jones, I felt like they would take a step offensively. Uh, boy, was I wrong. Um, their offense has not been great against Denver and uh, the Falcons, two winnable games. Like, the Giants could be 3-0. and I mean, they've lost at the horn back-to-back -back weeks on a game-winning field goal by the opposing team. Frankly, I mean, they should be at least 2-1. and one. They, they gave the Washington game away between jumping off sides on a missed field goal attempt, dropping a touchdown pass by Darius Slayton, and some bad calls by the officials. I mean, the Giants kind of got hosed, in my opinion. But then this past week, after a good Thursday night showing offensively, they come home – you know, they retire, retiring Eli Manning's jersey, and they can't score 14 points on the Atlanta Falcons, who have been basically beat up against by the Eagles and the Buccaneers. Um, I think Dave Gettleman's going to get fired. I don't think he's done a good job constructing this roster at all. Uh, I thought he gave way too much money to Kenny Galladay. He's a good receiver, but I thought they gave too much to him. 
Because I think the Giants just need a new quarterback. I think Joe Judge needs the chance. Uh, I think Joe Judge is a good coach, but it's really hard to win games when your defense has not been playing like they did last year and your offensive line seems to be worse than last year, even with Saquon back. Um, so that's what I'll say about the Giants. Carson Wentz, I mean, what can I say about Carson Wentz? I mean, he's getting hurt again. I mean, I think at this point for Carson Wentz, like this is just what his career is going to be. He's just going to be an injury-prone guy who's got a lot of talent, just can't stay healthy. But I think the biggest storyline, and everyone wants to talk about Carson Wentz struggling. What about the offensive line? Wasn't the Colts offensive line supposed to be like top three in the league this year? And they're not performing. And now Quentin Nelson's out with an injury. You know, um, they don't have – the running game is struggling, which is what they did really well last year. Um, you know, so Carson Wentz, I thought, on paper, went to a great situation. But it's not unfolding like I think anyone in the Indy organization thought it would. And their defense is a lot worse than it was last year as well. So we're seeing – I'm not going to blame Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz gets some blame, right? I think Carson Wentz holds on to the ball too long, and he takes a lot of unnecessary hits. However, the Colts' offensive line has not done him any solids. They can't run the ball, and that's putting a lot more pressure you know, on Carson Wentz. Like, when teams can stop the run, you pin your ears back, and you just get after the quarterback and, and, and passing you know, obvious passing situations. That's kind of what's happened. Uh, the Colts' secondary has been awful. Um, you know, They've given up a lot of big plays to the Rams, to the Seahawks, to the Titans. Um, so I'll just leave it at that with Carson Wentz. Like I, he definitely gets some blame. He's an injury prone quarterback. That's just talented, but it's not like the Colts, the rest of the Colts roster has done him any solids. The defense has definitely regressed and their offensive line doesn't even look close to what they've been the last couple of years. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, this is, uh, part one of the get a grip podcast. Part two will be coming. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about the NFL, some week four matchups, and uh, I'll also kind of dive into, you know, kind of what I'm thinking about for college football as well uh, for, for week five. So stay tuned for that.